0: There was a quick second where I thought to myself, if this plane crashes, I can't believe I'm going to die without my parents knowing I'm gay. Mm.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Made It Out. Today, I am with the Persian fruit peeler, TikTok chef, founder of Fish Foods, Zoya Roya. And we're going to talk about growing up gay in the Persian
0: culture. Let's do it. Zoys. Zoys, I hate when you call Zoe me. sauce. I hate that too. Zoy toy. I hate that even more. <laughs> How would you describe our friendship? So good. <laughs> Couldn't be better. We have a great friendship. Actually, we've recently discovered that we're very compatible people.
1: We yeah. have everything in common. <laughs> I know. It's actually really yeah, weird. Zoya so real. loves to pretend like she hates me. Yeah. We matched on a dating app one time. We did. Didn't
0: work out. It's just because it was would have been too good. <laughs>
1: it would have just been too good, Mallory. <laughs> but as in true lesbian fashion, I'm now dating her best friend, and her girlfriend is my best friend. It's crazy. So it all—it's <laughs> actually insane. It's actually insane that we are always together. <laughs> always together, everywhere, all Traveled around the together. world. <laughs> exactly. We travel together. We party together. Everything. Oh, I love it. But yeah, so she, Zoya likes to pretend like she hates me, but she actually loves me. is <laughs> part this. of the shtick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and she's agreed to come on my podcast and tell us all about the Persian culture.
0: Matilde made me do it. So here <laughs> we <are. laughs> were you, you were born here. Yeah, I was born in Orange County, California. People make jokes sometimes because I talk about growing up really foreign and then they're like, you grew up in Orange County, but you have to understand that I was born in 1990, so like in the early to late 90s, the Middle East wasn't really on a lot of people's radars growing up. Like all my friends were either white or Mexican. So I kind of just like floated in between there. I obviously don't look very white, so I just kind of like fit in with the Mexicans. And then the Middle East kind of really got on everyone's attention a few years later in 2001 on September 11th. Um, And needless to say, that wasn't in the most positive light. Um, So then we, as a country, went to war with Iraq and Afghanistan, who are neighboring countries of Iran, where my parents are from. Mm. Um, So it was kind of a rough, a rough intro to be like, okay, yeah, this is where we're from. You know, like one of the most hated regions in the world right now. So the Internet was still kind of a new thing, you know, like in the mid 90s, late 90s. um, People didn't know kebabs and hummus and like all that stuff like how everyone does now and you know you didn't just like scroll on TikTok and learn about other cultures so it was a very isolating experience growing up and like not quite feeling like I fit in and that kind of carried through in like every way too.
1: Yeah I I kind of remember you telling us about like even down to holidays how you didn't know like you didn't celebrate Christmas Mm -hmm.
0: and things like that so even that was hard to kind of navigate at school. Right. Yeah. I, um, I didn't speak English when I first went to school. So my parents taught me how to speak Farsi first. Mm -hmm. And then they just sent me off to preschool when I was like four. And the teachers thought I was mute because I didn't speak. (laughs) So definitely not a mute. (laughs) Definitely not a mute. Surprise. Um, yeah, they, they, (laughs) they thought I didn't speak. To make things worse, it wasn't just a regular preschool. My parents just found like the closest preschool to our house. It's a Christian preschool, like a very Christian preschool where like every day we'd go to like the church part of the school too. And like, if you thought I already seemed mute and strange in like a regular school setting, you should have seen me in the church setting because I had no idea what was going on. And we had a Christmas play And all the kids got casted as like real, real actors, but I was like a haystack in the back. (laughs) Yeah. so sweet. I'm sure I did a great job. (laughs) I'm sure you were the best damn haystack. I don't think I was even like the lead haystack. I was like haystack number two or something. You know what? Now we should do a Christmas play this year and you can be Jesus. (laughs) I should. I look like Jesus according to... Have you seen all the AI pictures of... (laughs) Look it up on your phone. It looks just like me. (laughs) I swear
1: to God. Okay. So you're in two very different Mm -hmm. kind of worlds Mm -hmm. there and at home. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about the persian culture.
0: Iran is, you know, it's a very warm culture. I mean, when we talk about the Iranian culture, Iran is a country, Persians is people. You have to understand that what we see right now with like the Islamic Republic is very different than what it was, you know, what was once the Persian Empire, what was once one of the most advanced cultures in the world. We invented everything from like medicine to refrigeration to like one of the first like open heart surgeries like Persian people have contributed a lot to the world and, you know, things always change. History always changes. Like right now in America, we sit here and say, oh my God, like they're so barbaric over there. But it's like in the like 30s, 40s, 50s in Iran, before the revolution, everything changed. Iran was like Europe. Tehran was one of the top destinations in the world. Like all of Paris to Tehran was like a very common route. And they were celebrating human rights They're on the level that we couldn't even comprehend in America at the time. This is mm. a time when in America you couldn't use certain water fountains based on the color of your skin. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. things change and then governments get overthrown and then suddenly like you are looking at the type of people being like, oh, wow, they're so backwards. And it's like, that's not the case. And so there's like this like bit of a chip on your shoulder where you're just like, well, I'm not from, like my family didn't come from like living in caves and tents, you know. Um, but it's frustrating because you want to hold on to that as much as you can, but you have to assimilate here too. Right. So I love my culture so much. It's such an important part of what I do. I spent so much of my childhood trying to ignore my culture, hide from my culture, even flat out like lie. I remember I just moved. I kept moving like schools Mm -hmm. a few times throughout elementary school and, um, I was in a new school, I think for fifth and sixth grade. So at that new school, I was like, okay, you know what? I figured out that like, there's like white people, there's Asian people, there's Mexicans. I look the most like Mexicans. I'm just gonna say Mexican.
1: Like, wow,
0: that's easy. You know, everyone will get it. I'll fit in more. Cool. So I kind of like, just was like, oh yeah, I'm Mexican. Like if it ever came up. And then like the universe, like looking back, the universe has like always sent me signs that I should just be myself. Because in sixth grade, long story short, we were like, on the field, like during school one day. And then like this old woman was walking by in this park that was like next to our field. And one of like the bigger sixth grade kids, like we we're playing some sport, whatever, runs into her. She falls over. She basically has like a stroke. My oh, God! And as everyone's gathering around, they're just like, she can't Like she's like dying or something. So it's like, can someone help? She's not speaking English. I think she's speaking Spanish. Like can someone come translate something, something. And as we all get closer, I just hear her saying in Farsi, oh my God, my God, my heart, my heart. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's not Mexican. She's Iranian. And the only person that can translate for her is me. Wow. So then I was just like, She's not speaking Spanish, she's speaking, and I just started speaking to her. Um, she had a heart condition, so we were able to quickly get her, they called the it was like this whole scene, like all these ambulances were there and like helicopters, but we were able to get her medication quickly from where she lived nearby because I was able to translate for her. So she wound up surviving. Wow. But then the gig was up that I was in Mexico. Yeah. Shit. But you know, it, as I grew up, I was like, okay, you know, I'm Persian, let me like get closer to my culture, my family. And then I found that I didn't fit in there either because I didn't wear dresses. I didn't like dressing femme. So I was never this like perfectly posh Persian girl. And that's like the expectation. That's in the, the expectation. Culture. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really hard. And I, you know, in my preteen years, I just, just like you, I'm sure and a lot of people was just like desperate to be accepted and Mm -hmm. to feel like everyone else. Um, So I really forced myself for a few years to try to be that. And for a few years, I feel like I was almost kind of able to get away with it. But you can only pretend for so long. Yeah.
1: So I've never been to Iran. I've only been to Jordan, which we went together. And it was very palpable that we should not be gay there. We We were told we shouldn't show any affection toward each other. Um, because we would risk going to jail. And I'm curious, just with Iran and Jordan both being in the Middle East, is that similar to what the feeling is in Iran?
0: Well, uh, about 10 years ago, the president at the time declared publicly that there were no homosexuals in Iran, which was a really funny thing to say. But that's important because some people choose to think of it as the truth. Some people think that there are no homosexuals in Iran because it's just like something that's never talked about. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there's a huge underground gay scene in Iran. Huge, huge gay scene. Most queer people flee Iran. They will immigrate elsewhere like Europe or Turkey. It's this tough situation where it's not accepted. It is it is punishable by imprisonment, sometimes death, depending on who you come across. There are some families that will kill Family members, if they confirm that they're gay, you you can't really operate a business. You know what I mean? Like you can't be openly gay and just like live a normal life in Iran.
1: Right? You're not free.
0: You're not free to. And people who are gay there just live very underground lives and just have like double lives. And some people are used to that and they're just like, this is just how it is. But that's such a sad, sad truth. Mm-hmm.
1: My ex girlfriend is actually Persian, and she told me that. There's a high number of gender reassignment surgeries in Iran to, quote, fix the gay problem. Is that true?
0: I'm pretty sure that Iran is like the number one country in the world in terms of gender reassignment surgery. Because there is this thought that there's not gay people. There's people who are in the wrong body, essentially. So like you are allowed to live a straight lifestyle. So, like, if you are attracted to a woman, then you are clearly a man. So you need to change your gender and become a man. And then you can live with a woman, which is, like, also an interesting stance. And I'm sure that a lot of people do wind up going through these surgeries, but I don't know if they are necessarily trans or if they just don't have an option and just want to live a life. But, yeah, it is interesting. It's It's a crazy stat.
1: Okay. Going back to middle school... Mexican Zoya did you have any inkling that you might be gay
0: no which is crazy because I feel like I was always kind of a tomboy but I actually didn't think that I was gay I think part of this is because I didn't think much of anything I was so focused on just trying to fit in Mm. that I never really took the time to dive deep into how I felt I was like oh I should like boys okay well like That kid's kind of cute, right? Like, it's not hard to, like, point at, like, some boy and be like, oh, well, he's cute. Like, he's kind of sweet. Like, I have a crush on that guy. Mm -hmm. You're fine. Yeah. He'll do. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't until it was high school. It was, like, my senior year of high school. I think by that point, I was kind of like, this is interesting. Like, my close friends talk about boys and they have, like, these intense feelings for boys. And I was just like, yeah, like, I, I like what's the name like Mike like you know like <laughs> yeah Mike's okay you know like I, I I was like I just don't think I feel that way and it's probably just glad I haven't met like the right person you know mm-hmm. but then in my senior year of high school I wound up meeting this girl who someone was like oh like she's bi and I that was the first time I was like oh bye and then like we like went to some party and she like started texting me before that the thought had never really crossed my mind but then it was so clear when it did happen. And then that was like the first girl I wound up dating for like almost a year secretly.
1: I resonate so hard with that. Like when you're just in, you're surrounded by nothing but straight people Mm -hmm. and like straight culture or a culture that you don't necessarily fit into or like feel like really resonates or, Mm -hmm. and you're just trying so hard to be like, okay, I can make it here, I can be yeah. this, I can be that. And so you're almost like shut off to everything that you actually are or feel and you have to
0: relearn that like trust system with yourself. Well, it's like representation too, right? Mm-hmm. Because I went to this huge high school, I had like a four or 500 person graduating class. There was nobody that was openly gay. Mm-hmm. Like there was like a couple of guys, like, like the theater boys that like everyone like knew, but even they weren't outwardly gay. hmm I was in Orange County. I graduated high school in 2008. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't graduate 50 years ago. Then with my family, I have, you know, a dozen or so cousins. My parents each have several siblings. They have cousins. We're talking about like this web of people who my parents are also friends with in Orange County. There's a huge, huge, huge community of Persians in Orange County. None of them were gay. None of them had gay kids. You know, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Right. So there was not a single person I could point to. I didn't have a gay cousin, gay aunt, gay uncle. Like there's no one that I could just be like, oh, that's an option. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about a huge pool of people, which is a little different than like, oh, I grew up in a small town. Like there was no one around. Grew up in Orange County with like literally thousands of people around me. And there was not an option. Right.
1: So you're dating this girl. You know, you're gay. At what point did you decide that you have to tell your parents
0: well, I wanted to, right? I think a lot of that people want to tell their parents. There were times where I would like, because I was living in LA, but I would go visit my family almost every Sunday in Orange County. And sometimes on the drive there, I'd be like, I should just tell them today. Like, this is going to be the day I'm going to do it. And on the drive back, I'd be like, I didn't do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it was because, you know, yeah, these but excuses. it was bad, you know, like
0: <laughs> this happened, this happened. It was always, there's plenty of excuses. Yeah, But I was 26 or 27 and I was coming back from a really long trip from Peru. Um, It had already been like a very life-changing trip. I was, it was on like a nonprofit trip. We were like helping kids here for the first time. I was like exhausted. I'd been gone for weeks. And on the last flight home, as we were like pretty close to landing, suddenly the plane just kind of like dipped. Oh my God. And like- And Zoya has severe (laughs) flight anxiety. Severe. My anxiety? Just to preface Severe And it just like dipped And everyone started screaming It like straightened out again Then like did like a kind of like a really intense turn And the pilot jumped on He's like like folks like there's something wrong with I mean I honestly kind of blacked out So I don't remember what he said But it was like something wrong with the wing flap And like we were trying to like land But something some flap something was messed up <laughs> Not the I was, flap <laughs> I hate when the flap's messed up Flap's giving me trouble Um, Something was malfunctioning. And and like there was a a quick second where I thought to myself, if this plane crashes, I can't believe I'm going to die without my parents knowing I'm gay. Mm. You know, I can't believe I've gone my whole life not telling my parents that I'm gay. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What a bummer to die and not have anyone know the real you. And that was my first thought. Spoiler alert. I didn't die (laughs) because I'm still here. Um, They fixed the flap. (laughs) The flap like readjusted itself or something. Anyway, we landed. But I I went home and I was like, I'm going to tell my family. Mm. And the next day, the very next day, I go home and same thing. As I get there, I was like, fuck that. I'm not telling anyone. (laughs) I am so scared again. And then very universe, very universe vibes. I'm sitting in my parents' kitchen, it's just me and my mom at home. And my mom's watching the TV and her backs to me and my backs to her on the table on my laptop, I was working from home. And out of nowhere, and this is very uncharacteristic of her, because in our family, in a lot of Persian families, you don't really talk about people you're dating. Like I had never taken anybody home before Mm -hmm. that. Like it wasn't like a thing you just bring over your boyfriend or whatever. So we don't really talk about too much. And as I'm just like typing, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my mom goes, so Zoya, what kind of guys do you like? And I was just like, oh, shit, (laughs) like staring at the screen. And I was just like, well, this is the moment. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, actually, I don't I don't like guys. And she goes, so what do you mean? You like girls? And I was like, yes, mom. She goes, really. And I was like, yes. And we're not looking at each other. Our backs are to each other. I'm just staring at my screen and she's just staring at the TV. And then she's like, for how long? And I tell her, and then it's like a series of questions. I mean, at some point one of us turns to the other, <laughs> we don't do the whole conversation with our backs to each other. Um, and she just asked me a series of questions and I just like start crying, you know, just cause I'm just so scared. And, and I'm very lucky that one of the first things she said was, you know, it's okay. Like, I love you, but like had a lot of questions And when I went home, I was like, okay, that was, that was bad and really shaken up. But like, it wasn't that bad, you know, like it wasn't like too, too crazy. And maybe that was better than I expected. Mm -hmm. And then I get home and like after a couple hours, she calls me and she's like hysterical. And I was like, oh no, I, I was wrong. And then it led to just like a really rough few days of just like, it's not okay. And like, it's going to be so hard for you. And like, maybe you're just being influenced by other people, like all everything that she could think of. And um. then she's like, well, you need to tell your dad. So the next week I went home and I told my dad and that was really rough. And he had sort of a similar response where the first thing he said was he's like, well, you know, you're my kid and I love you no matter what, but your life's going to be very hard. And like, mm-hmm. you know, this is this, this is this, this is this. And we don't have that in our culture. And, that was also very, very difficult. And then I left there and we didn't really speak a whole lot for like a few weeks. And I was dealing with so much more than just coming out because there's like a a particular type of guilt that I think first generation children of immigrants have where everyone wants to impress their parents, right? Everyone wants to make their parents happy, but children of immigrants are in this special boat where it's like your parents came here from another country on the other side of the world with sometimes no money at all, work their asses off at terrible jobs because they didn't speak the language, suffered for so many years to have you born here, to have you grow up here, to become something, to make them so proud.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then what did you do? You did the opposite. It is a unique difficulty that you face when you're when you're the child of immigrants and you know that you're letting your parents down in like such a tough way that you actually have nothing to do with, which Mm -hmm. is like the most tough part. You know, it's like I didn't decide to just like go off and become like an asshole. It's like I just these are my genes and. If anything, I should be mad at you guys. You guys gave me these jeans. Right. You, know? <laughs> you, you guys so. got some nerve <laughs> making
1: me feel bad. Yeah, somehow it's always our parents' fault, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. You guys made me moody, gave me bad eyesight, <laughs> and I'm gay. So we pissed at you guys.
1: So how long did you go in that space of like not talking to them? And was it on your own accord
0: or was it? Them it was kind too? of both of us, you know. We needed time they needed time to process After like two or three weeks, you know, one day my dad just texted me. He's like, listen, just, can you come home again on Sunday? You know, no matter what, you're still our kid and we love you. And I did, but it just, I went there and it was awkward and we just didn't talk about it. Mm. And then we didn't talk about it for a few years. Mm. So I don't even know what's worse, being closeted or coming out and then having your parents pretend that you didn't almost. You know, so it was a really uncomfortable few years. And I feel so bad because my parents, they were doing the best that they could. And something during this time that my mom would say every now and then that really stuck with me was she would say, I just wish that you weren't the first one. I wish that someone else's kid in our community, in the big Persian community, was gay and was out and I agreed because it sucks to be the first. It's particularly painful and brutal to be the first, but that's all the reason why I think it, it had to be me, mm. you know, like that was a shitty cross to bear, but that's from my um, Christian preschool. Upbringing. <laughs> um, but after a few years passed and I came out, you know, interestingly there was a ripple effect and a couple other kids came out and wow. um, I, I'm so, again, like it's as much as it sucked, people have it way, way, way worse. People's parents tell them, you know, they disown them. They do all these things. I didn't go through that, but you know, it was a very painful few years, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because those are, those are pretty prime years of your life, you know, like from 26 to like 30, 31. And I was pretty miserable Yeah, during that time. And truthfully, I stayed really busy with work and like doing stuff, but a lot of people that came in my path in that time, a lot of people that I dated, they got this, this awful version of me, you know, and it's so, it's so sad. I'm sure that happens to a lot of people, but I wasn't even myself, you know, how can you be yourself when like, you're still so deeply ashamed and like hurt by your own family?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean to be fair i'm sure a lot of us are not proud of the things that we did from 26 to 30 like yeah you know those are like yeah, yeah. i feel like years where you just kind of figure shit out and yeah. like look back and go oh yeah. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah so yeah part of it was for family trauma part of it was because i'm an asshole yeah. <laughs> that has nothing to do with <laughs> me being <laughs> traumatized i'm just also a jerk <laughs> So how,
1: when did you start, when did your parents start to come around?
0: There was just basically a point where I think they made a decision where like, if they wanted me around more often, if they wanted me involved in their lives, if they wanted to be involved in my life, they would need to just come around to it. Mm-hmm. And then, so they slowly started to, and, um, you know, a couple years later I met or like a year or so later, I met my now current girlfriend, um, Alex and we did for a few months and, um, Then my mom caught wind that I was dating someone and she said, I want you to bring her home and I want to meet her. And um, oh, oh my God, that had to feel so good. Yeah, it it felt really amazing. But at the same time, it then launched this like several month to year long of discomfort for me. You know, even sometimes now it's been like two and a half years. Now things are just finally starting to feel like where I could just kind of relax and feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. It took a whole like year and a half of me showing up to their house with my girlfriend and just being hyper, hyper aware of everything that everyone's doing and just being so on edge all the time and just so uncomfortable. And like, you know, those things don't go away quickly. Mm -hmm. Like hiding from people, hiding yourself, that stuff doesn't just go away overnight. It takes years to kind of bounce back from that. And it's easy to say it, but like there's so many parts of me that just wish I had done it so much sooner. Mm -hmm. I lived my life. I did like great stuff, but I wish I had done it sooner. So I could have just like started really living my life earlier Mm -hmm. instead of at the age of like 31. That being said, there's people who wait until they're 50 or 60 to come out. Like, you know, better late than never. But part of me does mourn that time that I could have had with my family too. Mm -hmm. Instead of just this like really on the surface, like shell of a relationship that I had with them for like almost a decade of my life. Mm -hmm. But Oh well,
1: yeah. But sometimes you really have to figure out because I I resonate with that. I didn't come out till I was twenty eight. Yeah, and it was you have to be so sure of like yourself and have all the mm-hmm. answers within yourself, so that when anybody kind of comes up to you with this isn't okay mm-hmm. or this isn't accepted, it's like actually <laughs> you can reject that. Yeah, you know, because I I think if you don't have that foundation built, mm-hmm. it becomes so much harder to hear those opinions from people that are the most important people Mm -hmm. in your life, you know? So I mean, what you're saying is fair. Like I wish the same thing sometimes, but I think what is the divine timing (laughs) to trust in the universe? So I know another big part of your coming out journey was coming out online and you're dating Alex Traeger. for any of those who don't know who has a really big social media presence. So it was kind of inevitable that you would have to come out online at some point. And now you've amassed this huge community online. And I imagine a lot of them are Persian. How has the response been?
0: I have, you know, to this day, thousands and thousands of DMs and and messages from people who are queer and Middle Eastern. And the messages range anywhere from asking for advice because they're not out, they don't know what to do, or like, struggling with their identity or just wanting to let me know that because of my videos they came out or wanting to let me know that they are still closeted and don't know if they'll ever come out but they just really like living vicariously through me and my girlfriend some of them even like older people like i'll click on their profile sometimes and it's like an old lady yeah like like they're like i'm like how do you even know how to use the 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 internet she's like 60 or 70 or i'm like i guess it's not that old but like i don't know to me i'm just like wow and she'll like send me like this broken English message of like, I just want you to know we really support you and we love you. And you know, it, it's, it's amazing. The support you're, you receive is amazing. Of course, there's some hate trickled in there and some nonsense trickled in there, but it's what you, what's that saying? Something that you feed the or whatever. Something philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> Say something
1: robust. <laughs> I do think though, just on that note, we do take for granted how lucky we are in L.A., yeah. you know, and how free we are in L.A. Even just it's nothing like going to the Middle East. But even just when I go home to Texas, it's mm-hmm. not as accepted, you know, but yeah. you become so used to being in this bubble uh, and we can just be who we are and mm-hmm. express it and and say it and show it and feel it anywhere. And it, not everybody gets to do that. And I think we... Um, We're just very lucky.
0: We are very lucky. We're extraordinarily lucky. Um, I often think about how crazy it is that I was born here because me and myself and who I was always going to wind up being, with a slight difference of decision from my parents, I could have been born in Iran. Mm. I could have been stuck there and been like the many queer people there who are suffering and who are stuck and who are being persecuted or just like living these dreadful lives and it is so lucky that I'm here. It's, it's like the lottery. Mm-hmm. Like you, you couldn't dream of this sort of luck. And it it's so hard because I, I, I love Persian culture so much, but I struggle so much also with the parts of it that are difficult. And like, I know that you've dated the Persian person before. So like, you might know part of that too, you know, it's like, it's, There's so many beautiful parts of this culture that celebrates poetry and literature and music and like great food and like really warm, warmness in the culture more than most cultures in the world. But then you have this like stigma and this like this tough thing where it's like you're really expected to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. It's like I should have been a lawyer who married a male doctor. And we should have eaten kebabs together for the rest of our lives. (laughs) But instead, I'm gay, you know, dating a white woman and I have a vegan fish company. So like everything went wrong
1: (laughs) for me. (laughs) Right. So if you had to give one piece of advice for someone who's struggling with their culture and their sexuality,
0: what would that be? It's so tough to give advice because like you don't know everyone's situation. My advice though is always going to be if possible, if safe to just rip the bandaid off. I think you're doing so much more harm to yourself than you realize when you're young by hiding, by closing off the part of you that exists. And you're doing a disservice to the world, honestly, Mm -hmm. by keeping something inside that is just like a really beautiful part of yourself. Truly. There is a ripple effect
1: when you start to become who you are. Yeah. Other people are seeing that Mm -hmm. and watching that Mm -hmm. and you're
0: helping. I'll send you the invoice, <laughs> you personally,
1: for all the people that have helped. All right. Checks in the mail. <laughs> okay. So we play a game. You haul or you ghost are your only options. Okay. She lives with her ex. Ghost? You I wouldn't ghost. even consider it. What if she's like the perfect girl and there's like overlap? Then she's not the perfect girl.
0: All right. My perfect girl would live with her ex. These like, are going to has- be like real, like... <laughs> She has her stuff figured out. Next. All right. She eats real tuna on her crispy rice. So, you ghost. I can't have that sort of negativity in my life. And tell us why. Because I have a vegan fish company. So, you can't be eating real raw fish when I have a vegan raw fish. But even if she was the perfect girl. No, Alex eats real raw fish sometimes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But it wouldn't make me you haul. Oh, that's only options, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then I guess you haul. All right she has three dogs you ghost absolutely <laughs> I can't even take care of my one dog <laughs> I could never um yeah I mean not never but I don't know no that's a lot of work what if like she has two
1: and you already have one ghost oh my gosh it's hard to get with Zoya <laughs> <laughs> She only eats the peel of fruits But not the fruit
0: itself <laughs> Then she's my dream partner <laughs> You haul for sure Because I'll peel them And she can eat the peel And I'll eat the fruit That's true yeah.
1: <laughs> All right The last thing we do is a cheers And Zoya has brought us Tea
0: Black Persian tea mm-hmm. cheers. cheers Or as we say in Farsi Salamati Thanks for being here Zoya uh,
1: Thanks for coming and talking to me for an hour I had no choice <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Please support lesbian content by rating, reviewing, subscribing, following. You can find today's guest at Zoya Roya. You can find our show at Made It Out Podcast, me at Mal Glowinky. This podcast was produced and edited by Mathilde Jordan and worked on solely by lesbians. So send this episode to everyone you've ever met to spread the gay agenda.
0: Finger lick finger index and middle in sync sans penis pleasure